0: Good morning. Y'all are so excitable today. Um, all right, so last week we talked about uh, how Jesus rejoices over us. Uh, Glenn, Glenn shared a passage out of Luke with us. We looked at how Jesus responded when the 12 and the 72 returned. It says in the scripture that within the hour... Uh, jesus rejoiced and that that he raised his voice and and there was a mention of dancing in there and then glenn said that he would tell us what appropriate movement was so that was fun if you didn't if you didn't catch uh that sermon last week it's up on the podcast i encourage you to to go and listen to it i texted glenn this week and said that his sermons are like gumbo they're always better the second time around Uh, not to say he didn't do a good job i just gleaned more even more out of it uh when i went back and listened to it again this week um we talked about that, that Jesus didn't rejoice in the numbers that the 72 brought back with them. He didn't rejoice in the fact that they had done a really good job. What Jesus was rejoicing in is that, that the, the 72 that he sent out experienced God. They saw God moving. They engaged in with God as he was doing what he was doing, and they got a whole new experience uh, for themselves. And that's what Jesus was really excited about, okay? Okay. Um, and if you, if you hadn't caught it yet, guys, that's, that's what we want at The Gathering Places. We want you guys to, to on a daily basis, be able to, to look at your, what, you know, your week or your day and to step back and go, Wow, look what God just did in my life. So we also talked about in there that there are those in our lives... Whom God hides the truth from those who consider themselves uh, very wise and understanding a, a lot of things, and and so today as we move into this next story, this uh, the the story of the Good Samaritan, we're going to look at how do we handle those people that come into our lives and and think that they have all the answers or that want to challenge what we believe or what we're speaking. How do we respond to those people, and what do we do about that? Okay, so let's uh, let's jump in here real quick and. I'll be honest with you guys, this story for me this week was, was difficult to dig into. Um, ironically, last year when Glenn was on vacation is the last time I preached. That was a year and six days ago. And the, I ended my sermon with the story of the Good Samaritan. Okay? Now, what's difficult for me is, is that I want to I wanna tap into the, the things that I've learned in this story in the past and just regurgitate those things. I've always looked at this story from an application side of things and said, okay, what is, what is Scripture trying to teach me about how I need to respond um, to God's call to ministry, right? That's how we normally look at that. If we're honest with each other, we've all heard this story a lot. And and so in, in my mind and probably in your minds, you have an idea of, of what is being communicated in this story. And so um, I had to, to just kind of take a step back from it um, and say, okay, what do I learn about Jesus being enough? Uh, we talked this beginning of this year in our State of the Union address, or State of the Church, um, about simplifying and just looking at the scripture and saying, okay, what do we learn about the person of Jesus in this story? And so that's what we're going to do today. So let's uh, let's bow our heads, y'all pray with me real quick, and then we're going to dive into this thing, okay? God, I um, ask today that the words that are spoken would be of you, Father, that the, the things that uh, you have spoken to me this week, that you have taught me, Father, that you would allow me to clearly communicate those things. Um, and that what is, what is known here today is your goodness. Um, Father, I ask that you open our hearts and our minds to receive your words today um, and keep us focused on, on what it is that you're trying to teach us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, Luke ten twenty five through 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit life? And he said to him, What's written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you've answered correctly, do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed to the other side. And so likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he also passed by the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and he saw him and had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to the inn and took care and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii, that's about two days' wage, and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back to you. Which of these do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Likewise. Okay, so God is working in the area, the 72 have just returned, Jesus is rejoicing, there's a celebration going on, and in the middle of that, a lawyer stands up, and a lawyer is what, an expert in the law, he had spent his life learning the laws of the Old Testament, okay, so the lawyer stands up, and and he asks a question. Now, I don't know about you guys, but um, if you've ever read uh, C.S. Lewis's The Screwtape Letters, Kyle and I have taken an absurdly long time to go through that book, but it's been really fun, Okay. What you see is a common thing over and over and over again is when God begins to work, Satan tries to get in the middle of that and distract you. That is his number one tactic, okay? Um, I'll give you a a real-off example of that. Bethany and I were at a youth conference one time. Uh, We were in the middle of a session, and I don't remember if it was worship going on or if the speaker was speaking, but we had a toddler with us because we always do. That's how we roll. Um, And so we sat in the very back, um, and and the toddler was moving around, and, and they did the toddler did what toddlers do and pooped in the diaper, and so Bethany lays her down and, and is changing the diaper. And, and um, if you don't have babies, this is coming. Be prepared for it. The baby grabs the diaper, and goes woo, poop goes everywhere. Okay, so we're trying to li- engage and listen to what's going on, and, and the baby throws poop. And then like three days later, so we're cleaning the we clean it up, you know. And and thankfully it wasn't a wet poop. You know what I'm saying? Too many details, huh? Um, but a couple of days later, we open up the wipes to change another diaper, we're like. Oh, God, something died in there, and some of it hit, and we didn't, yeah. So, that's coming, all right? Just when we're trying to focus, when we're trying to engage, Satan is going to cause something to happen to distract us. And I've heard people say that before, and others in the church take offense to it and be like, you saying Satan works through me? That's what he does. That's his job, and he's good at it. And no one is immune to that. I don't care how great you think you are. You're not, okay? So... You got that? You're not that great. That's the point of today's message, all right? So here's Jesus. He's rejoicing, and stays right, a lawyer enters, okay? The lawyer comes in. Y'all looked, didn't you? Uh Uh-huh, made you look. So lawyer enters, and he goes, hey, I got a question. You guys are talking about all this stuff you're doing. What do I need to do to receive uh, eternal life, okay? Now, if you'll remember, the lawyers had already heard about who Jesus was and what he was preaching and had already rejected it. If we look back, this is um, Luke chapter 7, verse 28 through 32. It says, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John, yet one, the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But... The Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation, and what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. This is a passage of scripture that Glenn used in his sermon a couple of weeks ago um, about Jesus talking behind our backs, how, how Jesus talks us up when we're not looking okay, the Pharisees and lawyers had heard and they had seen the same things that the other people in that passage had heard and seen, but they chose to reject the truth of who Jesus was, okay, so the lawyer approaches, he asks the question, and Jesus knows what the lawyer's thinking, he knows his heart right off the bat, when the guy opens his mouth, he knows what's coming, okay, Um, and so the lawyer stands up to put him to the test, it says, and it says, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life, okay, When I'm looking at this passage, I'm trying to figure out, okay, who is Jesus in this story? I'm looking at the interaction, and I'm thinking, how would I respond to somebody when they asked me a question like that, okay? And and the first thing that I notice is that Jesus does not argue with the lawyer. He already knows what he's thinking. He knows where this conversation is headed, but he doesn't argue with him, okay? The Holy Spirit was at work in the lawyer, and Jesus was aware of that. He could see it happening. The lawyer had no idea, but he could see that the Holy Spirit was there and and was moving. So What happens? Side note, if you haven't heard me say this before, this won't be the only time. I promise you, I, I say it a lot and because it's a good reminder for me. Okay? Jesus, the lawyer, asks the question, and, and Jesus doesn't argue with him. He, he listens. If, if you try to convince somebody to believe what you believe by arguing with them, it's not going to work. Right? Anybody ever tried to argue somebody into something you believe? They might finally concede because they're tired of listening to you, but it doesn't mean that they agree with you. It certainly doesn't mean that they've accepted it as a belief in their life, okay? And this is especially true if the person that you're having the argument with thinks they're an expert in the topic at hand, okay? So I I was thinking, how would this conversation have been different if the lawyer says, what should I do in in inherit eternal life, if Jesus would have responded by saying, quit being a jerk and practice what you preach? Like that would... Like, that's how I probably would have responded. But would that have led to a change of heart in the lawyer? No, it it probably would not have. Um, So what does Jesus do? He asks the lawyer to share his thoughts. So the lawyer asks him a question, and and I love this. Jesus responds by asking another question, okay? So Jesus says, what do you, you know, what do you see? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbors yourself. Okay, so as advertised, the lawyer knows the law perfectly. He quotes it right back to Jesus. Jesus knows that he's going to know the answer, okay? But then Jesus disarms the lawyer, okay? And I'm not talking about like some kind of like Jackie Chan thing where he and takes the knife out of somebody's hand. He, he disarms him in that he, he takes away the opportunity for the guy to, to argue back with him. The lawyer is, is prepared for a theological debate, okay? That's what lawyers do. They prepare to argue the case. They gather their supporting evidence, they get their witnesses in line, and then they go and they present their case. Have you ever had somebody approach you when you've been having a discussion about something and you can see it in their eyes as they're coming, like they are prepped? They are ready to have this argument. They have all of their statements together. They know what they're going to say. And they've even thought through the things that you're going to say in response and they have an argument about that, okay? Okay. If you've never experienced that, you've never had a conversation with a girl. Just throwing that out there, okay? That's how they think. Guys, we're a little more simplistic. We're like, oh, eh, we'll wing it, okay? This guy is his, his prepared, okay? And Jesus sees this coming, okay? And, and so that person comes to you. Just imagine this in mind because I know most of you have probably experienced it. That person is coming at you. They've got all their stuff prepared. They make their opening statement, and then you have the audacity to respond by agreeing with them. Where do they go from there? They're disarmed. Because they didn't prepare for that, right? Has that ever happened to anybody? Somebody, man, they're ready to argue, and then you agree with what they're saying, and then they're, they just, now what do I do? I, I don't I don't know, okay? When I was in high school, I went through driver's ed. They had it at the high school. It was during the summertime. There was very little supervision. The the One of the coaches, you know how coaches are, <clears throat> Kobe, they don't care. They're just doing their job, getting a paycheck. So, we're in driver's ed, and it was really boring, and so they let us take a break and go outside, and and so I went outside, and uh, there were these three guys that were just bullies around the school, and I don't know if you guys know this about me, but I was really, really little in high school, Um, like tiny, like barely weighed 100 pounds when I graduated, okay? I've put on a little bit since then, Um, and so I go outside, and these three guys are waiting for me. They've set a trap, okay? I walk around the corner of the, the building. Uh, and, and one of them jumps on me and puts me in a headlock. And he's hollering and cussing, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. And so I have to make a decision. In that moment, do I fight back or do I concede? Okay? I'm outgunned. There's three of them. I'm outarmed. I'm, I'm just out of my doubts. I'm not a fighter. It's not the way I was raised. And so I took a calculated risk. I said, well, this can go a couple of ways. I can fight back, and they're really going to beat me up, or I cannot fight back, and maybe only one of them will beat me up. You know, could we we'll see how this goes. So I took a calculated risk. And I said, All right, man, do what you gotta do. He like, let go of me, he kind of stepped back. He's like, What? And I was just whatever you gotta do, man, do your thing. Well, they walked off. And that was like a pivotal moment in my life, because I was like, <laughs> smarter than those guys. Alright. So in our story, Jesus is is he sees the trap that the lawyer has laid for him. Okay? But instead of falling in that trap, Jesus agrees with him. he says, you're right, you quoted it correctly. The lawyer had no idea that the Holy Spirit's working and and is moving in this this setting, okay? And Jesus agreeing agreeing with him threw him off his game. He didn't really know what to think, okay? And then Jesus makes his move. This is where it gets fun, all right? Jesus moves the conversation from theology, which is where the lawyer was headed, into personal reflection, okay? We see something happen here. He adds, after he says, yes, that is correct, you have quoted the the law correctly, he adds, do this and you will live. So he's answering the question with a statement. He's saying, how do you get internal life? What's the law? He reads the law and he says, yes, that is correct. Do that and live. And and in that moment, don't miss this because this is where the fireworks happen, Jesus' response to the lawyer makes the lawyer realize that he has missed it. He realizes in that moment that he has not obeyed the law that he knows so well, okay? Jesus has revealed this guy's true heart. In that moment when Jesus says those words, this man who spent his entire life learning the law, okay, lawyers are are wordsmiths, words are their weapons, that's how they do battle, okay? In six words, in just six words, Jesus shows him that while he knows the law, he has not fulfilled it. By the lawyer's own definition, he is excluded from the very thing he's asking how to gain, which is eternal life. Okay? So at this moment, the lawyer has a crisis of belief. Okay? In his mind, he's realized, I know the law, and I understand what it says, and I understand that if I want to gain eternal life, if I want to have a relationship with God, I have to fulfill the law, but he realizes he hasn't done that. Okay? And so he... He's trying to figure out what to do, but he doesn't give up easily. And, and guys, we, don't we do this a lot in our own lives? The Lord will speak and we'll say, wait, <laughs> Jesus, I, I must have misheard that. Like, in my mind I can hear Hal saying that because he said that to me a lot. You're like, God will speak something, and it's so outside of the box of what you're used to. You're like, whoa, wait, wait a minute. No, that can't be right. I mean, let me ask again. Think about this. The lawyer is a product of his environment, Okay? When when you became a Pharisee or a lawyer, when you were a very young child, you moved into the temple and you're raised by the other lawyers and Pharisees, okay? And so the things that he's come to believe, the things that are ingrained in him as truth are put there by all the people that he loves and respects the most, okay? The same is true in our life. Why is it that when Jesus reveals a new truth to us, that immediately that begins to make an impact on us and the people that are around us go, what are you doing? Why does that surprise us? Because we're a product of our environment too. The the, the the I am the way that I am because of the people that raised me, my family. That is that is who has made me way. And so when I learn something new about Jesus that's outside of the scope of what they taught me, a lot of times that's met with, uh, what are you doing? Oh, no, that's not right. Is that surprising? It shouldn't be. It happens nearly every time. I think... When that happens, a couple of things uh, are engaged at once. We're learning and we're changing. And, and people see that change happening in our lives. And sometimes they'll say something and sometimes they won't. But when they do, when they ask us what's going on, I think that a lot, and you, again, abide in the Spirit and, and judge the moment. But that's an opportunity for us. That's the Holy Spirit setting the stage for us to be able to share with them this new truth, this new understanding that we have of God that we didn't have before. So our lawyer in the story, he doesn't give up. Jesus disarms him. He's a little bit confused, but because he's a good lawyer, he's got a rebuttal. Okay, So he says, so who is my neighbor? Okay, He asks Jesus to define a word within the the law okay and just heads up if you've ever been in a discussion with somebody and you feel like things are going your way pretty well and then they ask you to define a commonly known and used word watch out it's about to get crazy okay that's never a good sign so the lawyer says this this is uh verse 29 through 35 but he desiring to justify himself said to jesus and who is my neighbor And Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and uh, departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, passed by to the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by to the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and he saw him and had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, He set him on his own animal and brought him to the inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave him to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend I will pay when I come back. Jesus uses uh, what most believe to be a known event that would have been emotionally engaging for the lawyer to communicate a truth. Um, As I was studying this week and I didn't know this, this was something new for me, most commentators believe that the story of the Good Samaritan was an actual story and the reason they believe that is because had Jesus made this up the lawyer because of the hatred between the Samaritans and the Jews the lawyer would immediately laugh him off (laughs) like there's no way that would happen a Samaritan's not going to help a Jew not going to happen because they hate us the Jews hated the Samaritans but because the lawyer doesn't laugh Jesus off. They think that 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 is telling us that this is something that has happened recently and that would have been a topic of much discussion among the Jews because it was so outside of the norm, okay? So Jesus uses this this event to communicate truth to the lawyer, all right? Jesus is communicating a couple of different things in the story, I think. First, he's pointing out to the lawyer that knowledge and lineage don't automatically equal righteousness. Okay, so he's pointing out to the lawyer just because you're a Jew, just because you're a lawyer, just because you know the law, because you've studied it, that's not where your righteousness comes from. Secondly, he's showing him that there is a cost associated with following, with being obedient to God. It costs the, the Samaritan something. It cost him his safety. Okay, um, a lot of people believe you know, say that the Jew and, or the Levite and the priest didn't stop because maybe it was a trap set up by the, the robbers. Um, it cost him his time. He had to tend to the man's wounds, put him on his donkey, walk into town. It cost him money. He paid for the guy's uh, lodging and care. Thirdly, I think that, that Jesus is pointing out that, that true faith always manifests itself with fruit. Okay, When we're actively engaged in our relationship with God, we bear fruit fruit that he puts on us, not fruit that we put on. So verse 36, Jesus asked the lawyer after he tells the story, he says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So just in the course of a few minutes, Jesus has taken this lawyer who was prepared for a theological debate, and he has, he has engaged him. And he's disarmed him. He's revealed his heart where he stands in, in relation to God and, and in relation to his fellow man. Jesus shows him that what was most important in that moment on the road was not the law. The most important thing in the, in the moment was that person. Okay? What was most important in that moment to the man that was near death was a stranger who had enough compassion and mercy... To take the time to stop and help him. Our compassion for one another is going to be what determines whether or not we're able to share the gospel. When, when Jesus is in the conversation, when the, he's in the midst of rejoicing, um, I don't know if you guys have ever been in a party where somebody crashes it and starts to start an argument that's never fun, okay? Jesus is with the disciples, and they're, they're rejoicing. They're enjo- enjoying this moment celebrating what God has done and what they've experienced about him, and this lawyer stands up to try to be a distraction and try to sway some of those people to come back to the law and follow it. How many times has that happened in our lives? We're people that we love and that are around us. They see us experiencing God, and God's doing crazy things in our lives, and it's incredible, and they try to pull us back into, into the law and, and following just the law. So we're here at this moment. Jesus has a couple of options. He can can just get rid of this guy or he can take this opportunity to speak truth into his life. And so as I look at this story and I'm looking at, you know, what do I learn from Jesus in this moment is he handled this lawyer really, really well and really, really gently. So when someone tries to argue with us, how do we handle that? Do we argue back or do we listen and we wait and we allow the Holy Spirit to speak truth into that conversation? Uh, I think it's worth noting when I was doing my prep this week, it dawned on me that uh, one of the things that we committed as a church to doing was blessing others. Okay? We're going to begin with prayer, listen to them, eat with them, serve them, and the very last thing we do is share the gospel the last step in that process is where we actually open our mouths and speak. And I think it's important because when you're, when you're having a discussion with somebody, when, especially when they're all, you know, they're all geared up to, to fight, the last thing that we need to do is try to jump in and, and go toe-to-toe with them and argue with them because it's not going to have any, any effect. We, because of the dynamic of our church, we do live with a... Whole myriad of people from different backgrounds and different beliefs and I think that that what we learn from Jesus in this story that is so crucial for us is is that he is gentle and that he takes us from a place of of where we are completely not interested in hearing what he has to say that in a moment because of the work of the Holy Spirit and the fact that he was abiding in the father remember he says that that uh, I do nothing on my own but I do what I see the father doing Jesus is engaged in what what the Lord is doing, and and he waits, and he he answers just the right way, and it's not just because he's Jesus, it's because he's tuned into the Father. So, I wanted to share a story with you guys um, about paying attention to what God's doing. Not this Wednesday, but the Wednesday before, we're at youth group, and I taught on forgiveness, and I talked about uh, the importance of forgiveness and why it's why biblically it's an important thing for us to do the the lesson referenced the scripture where it says to the measure that you forgive that you will be forgiven and so we talked about that with the youth and um, a lot of the kids i think out of i don't know 30 35 kids that we had there that night only four of them have a relationship with us that is older than two months everybody else is two months or less okay the group changes dynamically a lot because the the neighborhood is so transient and so I got four in there that we have a long-standing relationship with that we're good with they they know us and respect us and trust us and we can speak in their lives and the rest are all brand new okay so we, we're teaching on forgiveness and we cover grace in there we talked about salvation and we do all that and and things went really well I thought the lesson went pretty good everybody mostly paid attention Um, And when we get done with the lesson, we clean all our mess up, and then we play basketball again. So we're about 10 minutes into the next game, and one kid bumps another kid, their knees hit, and it's a foul, and immediately it blows up into a fight. You know, it's, and it's exactly what you might imagine. Everybody's gathering around. Everybody's hollering and cussing. And so I jump in the middle. I'm like, guys, we just talked about this. Like, we literally ju- like, in the lesson, I use the example of them fouling each other in a game and how they need to just forgive each other and get over it, okay, move on. It was an accident. Uh, or even if it was an accident, forgive them and move on. And, and here we are with a fight. And so I'm in between I'm like, y'all, we just talked about this. And, and I've had to do this a lot uh, in the past. I hadn't had to do it recently. But when things just get out of hand, I just shut it down. You know, it's only like 8.10. We don't we don't get done until 8.30. I was like, y'all, we're done. Y'all get out of here. Go home. You know, we start shutting the lights off. Well, Bethany and Doug and Shirley are outside with, uh, with the little kids. Um, uh, throw a flag out there real quick. We need help with the little kids. No shame in saying that. Pray about it. <laughs> so they're out there with the little kids. They have no clue what's going on, but all of a sudden everybody's leaving. And they're looking at their watches going, whoa, whoa. Uh, hold on what's, what's going on so everybody leaves the The argument happens between two kids one of them that I have a really long really good relationship with and another one that's brand new he's only been a couple of times Okay, and, and so I went to the one that I knew really well and I just kind of got in his ear and I said you need to go home and we'll deal with this later but you need to just hush your mouth and go home he had brought his girlfriend with him for the first time so this guy fouled him it was right in front of his girl so he had to posture you know get all big I, you know he's only about this tall but he had to you know, uh, and so, so he went home, he lives in one of the trailers over here, so he left, and, and I went to the new guy, um, who is uh, not small, um, and, and I just grabbed, I grabbed him by his elbows, which were right here, what does that tell you? Okay, I grabbed him by his elbows, I was like, Jonathan, look at me, he's looking over my head, Jonathan, look at me, so he looks down at me, and I said, look, man, I know we just met each other, but here's kind of what we expect, and here's what we Here's, here's how we expect you to act. I said, but let me explain to you what just happened. I share the gospel with you guys. We talk about the importance of forgiveness and the impact that it has not only on you, but on our community. And here's what Satan does. We talked about this just a minute ago. When God starts doing something, Satan gets really upset about that. And he tries to get in the middle of it. And I said, that's exactly what just happened. Okay? And I said, it's not your fault. That's what Satan does. It's his job, and he's really, really good at it. Okay, And so I I had this conversation with with Jonathan, and I kind of went back through my lesson with him to try to help him understand in that moment. And Jonathan did something that totally blew me away. I didn't expect it. He's like, Mr. Will, I want to apologize. And we've been here. How long? That has never happened, ever, okay? And I said, Jonathan, I stopped and said, Jonathan, I don't want you to apologize because you think I'm mad at you because I'm not mad at you. I'm not. I said, I know this is going to sound weird because we don't know each other real well, but I love you and I'm glad you're here. Oh, I, I forgot. I left out a point of the story. When he first started talking to me, he's still, you know, he's all postured up. And I'm like, God, please don't let this guy go crazy, okay? And, and uh, I said, Jonathan, how old are you? I'm 18. And I said, okay. The other guy's not. What happens if you hit him? Oh, you're right. You're right. I'm going to jail. You're right. You're right. So I disarmed him. So that was, that was important. So I disarmed him. And so now he's calming down, and we're talking, and he says, well, I want to apologize. I told him I'm not mad at you. Don't apologize because you think I'm mad. And he said, no. He said, I want to apologize to God because I I disrespected him, and I disrespected his house. I was like, man, you know how much that means to me. That's awesome. I gave him a hug. I said, Jonathan, head on home. I'll see you next week. Please come back. I love having you here. He's hilarious. He's a really great ball player. He's a lot of fun to have around. And so Jonathan leaves. So I walk outside, and Bethany's like, what the heck's going on? And I said, uh, and and so she sees me, and she's like, where are you going? I said, I'm going to talk to to Terry. And she's like, but all the rest of the kids are over there. I was like, it's all right, it's cool, it's cool. Because I knew Holy Spirit's in the middle of this. As soon as Jonathan apologized, it's like, Holy Spirit's going, yeah, this is happening, this is happening. So I go to Terry's house, and the entire rest of the youth group, all the rest of the 30-plus kids, are sitting on Terry's front porch or standing right in front of Terry's front porch, and Terry's inside. And I was like, all right, guys, I need to, um, I need y'all to just, to just leave for just a minute so I can talk to Terry just one-on-one. And one of our other kids, TQ, is like, y'all, Mr. Wheel said we got to go, let's go, and, and which was unexpected as well. And so TQ makes everybody leave. So I knock on Terry's door and he comes out. We sit down on the porch. And I had the same conversation with Terry. But because I know Terry, we were able to go a little deeper with it. And I said, Terry, um, you and I have known each other a long time. And, and I have communicated to you a number of times what God is wanting to do in this community, how he wants you guys to understand what it means to live with love, and, and to know how that's going to impact everybody. And I said, man, God wants you to be in the middle of that. That's why you're here. That's, that's the purpose of all of this. And, and we, I talked to him about stuff with Satan, trying to distract and getting in the middle of all of that. Terry and I had a great conversation and uh, hugged his neck, told him I loved him. And, you know, we're going to move on for this from this. So I leave Terry's house. I'm coming back down the fence right here. And here comes Jonathan on his bike. He had been talking to Bethany. And now he's headed to me. And I'm like... Oh, Lord. <laughs> what now? So here comes Jonathan, and I stopped him. He was like, where are you going, man? He's like, man, I'm going to talk to Terry. And I was like, yeah? And he's like, yeah, I want to apologize to him. I was like, oh, dude, that's awesome. And he's like, "In real talk, Mr. Will, I'm just going to tell you, I'm, you know, I might not be able to do something, but I got some little brothers that come over here and shoot this place up. I'm like, whoa! What? <laughs> we, <just laughs> I said, Jonathan, we just talked in the gym, like, literally, like, 10 minutes ago, what happened between then and now? Well, you know, I wasn't going to say that to him, Mr. Will, but, but, you know, I just got to let him know, what's, you know, what's up. <laughs> and I said, Jonathan, let me share some words with you that somebody told my dad and then my dad told me and it's, it's going to be really valuable to you. So are you ready? And he said, yeah. So okay, here's the deal. When somebody's being stupid, you telling them that they're stupid doesn't help anything. They already know that they're stupid. He sat down on the bike and said, that's, that's some real talk right there, Mr. Will, that's some real talk. And so I I explained to him, I said, Jonathan, did you you get anywhere by arguing your case? By the way, it wasn't Jonathan's fault. Terry fouled him. Anyway, that's important because now Jonathan wants to go back and argue his case again and be like, dude, it wasn't my fault you got in my face, you know. And I said, uh, Jonathan, did it work to argue your case to Terry the first time? He's like, no. And I said, why do you think it would work this time? He said, it probably won't. I said, no, I'm telling you it won't. I said, if you want to go apologize to Terry... That's awesome. Go apologize to Terry. I was like, dude, that's, that's incredible. So Jonathan rides off towards Terry's house, and I'm talking to Jesus. I'm like, Jesus, please let this be an apology. I don't want to have to call the police because this could get stupid real fast. So I see Terry and Jonathan uh, talking, and, uh, and then they, they walk away, and everything's cool. This Sunday, or this Wednesday, both show up. They play ball. Everything's fine. So after all of that went down, now I, I go back to, to Bethany and Doug and Shirley and Kyle who were like, what the heck just happened? I was like, y'all sit down. I got a story to tell you, okay? Because here's what's incredible about this. We have this lesson. The Holy Spirit speaks. I'm doing what I do. The Holy Spirit's doing what he does. And the kids do what they always do. Everybody was right in place, okay? And so I'm telling this story to Glenn. And Glenn's like, man, God caused a storm so that these people could experience him. I'm like, yes. That's exactly what happened. When when the Holy Spirit begins to move in our lives, Satan wants to get in the middle of that. He wants to mess it up. Okay, But what was incredible about this is that in the midst of that, Satan's attempt to mess it up, these guys experienced something brand new about God. They experienced the fact that God forgave them. They experienced that I forgave them, that I wasn't mad at them. And then they experienced forgiveness from one another, which I can guarantee you is few and far between in this neighborhood. Very few and far between. We can talk about experiencing God. We can talk about knowing God. But until we take these ideas and we move them from just being theology in our head to personally getting them in our lives and walking them out, we haven't experienced anything. That's the problem that our lawyer was having in this story is that he knows the law. He studied it his whole life. He knew it as good as anybody did. But just knowing these things in our mind isn't enough. And so what what I learned this week and what I hope you've heard is that God wants to move us from a head knowledge to a heart knowledge. And he doesn't do it by coming in and bulldozing us down and forcing us to try to do something. You know, I've been guilty before my kids you know, they'll, we'll put something on their plate. Bethany and I are great cooks, and so we know if it goes on the plate, it's really good to eat, and, and our kids sometimes will immediately turn their nose up to it. And my rule is, if you didn't try it and you tell me you don't like it, you like it today. You're going to have seconds. That's the rule, okay? That's not how God operates, and that's probably not how I should operate either, but it makes me feel good. Just being honest. I don't get to be the boss about a lot of things. That I do, okay? Jesus doesn't work like that with us. He gently moves into our lives and the things that we're struggling with in here. He helps us deal with that gently. In the course of, I, I don't know, this interaction, maybe lasted 10, 15 minutes, between, if even that long, between Jesus and the lawyer. And what we see happen, the lawyer didn't argue with any anymore. Like the story just ends. Jesus, the final thing he says to him is, go and do likewise. And in that moment, in that, those few minutes, the lawyer goes from being... Uh, in a place where he wants to start an argument and, and, and mess up Jesus' moment with his disciples to realizing that there is something huge missing in his life, and he just walks away. But Jesus didn't get upset, he didn't get angry, he didn't get crazy with the guy, he was gentle. And so in our own lives, as the Holy Spirit is working in us to take some of those things that are ingrained in us that we need to get out, He's going to be gentle with us, and He's going to do it slowly, and He's going to allow us to digest what's happening. And the same is true with us as we interact with people in our lives, whether it's family or friends, uh, whether they believe in the Lord or not, whether they have a relationship, whether they're religious or they're not religious at all. When, when those times of confrontation happen, when people are ready to argue, be gentle. Don't go in there and just try to force them to believe what you believe, because it's not going to work. Jesus wants to guide us into a new understanding of Him. That is what walking in faith is about. Jesus wants uh, to use us to help others understand who God really is. And sometimes it's going to be painful. Sometimes it's going to be uncomfortable. Sometimes it may cost us things like our time or our money. Sometimes relationships. But when that happens... When we take that step of faith and we obey what God has called us to do, we learn something new about him, just like the 72 did. They went out, they obeyed Jesus, and they come back and they're like, wow, look what God just did through me. When we go through those experiences, we we internalize it, and then we own it because it's not just a thought that we've heard somebody say, it's something that we've experienced, we've lived it out, and it's ours now. And it's always easier to share what you own than what you don't. We're going to have the opportunity in our lives to help change the way people think about who God is. And so our challenge from Jesus is, as we do that, to be gentle. And don't try to force people to believe anything. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your words today, and, and um, God, I thank you for the opportunity this week to just sit at your feet and to learn about who you are, and Father, as you work in our lives and try to adjust what we think and what we believe, Father, I ask that you would make us aware of that as it's happening so that we can see for ourselves, we can walk through what it is that you are, are doing, God, so that we can we can in some way replicate that for other people, God, that we can be gentle and that we can help them to have a new understanding about who you are based on what we've experienced of you. Father, I ask that you would um, be with these brothers and sisters this week as they walk with you. Father, I ask that you would guide their conversations, that when people come to them that want to, to have discussions about who you are, Father, that you would lead those conversations and that you would... Um, give them the words to say and tell them what to not say. And that they would be cognizant of what you're doing in that moment, that they would understand um, where it is that you're going. We pray these things in Jesus' name.